Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. Today we're teaching on uh, Discouraged from a, from a passage that most of us are not terribly familiar with. You, you probably know that Bobby and I really love preaching out of the New Testament, but this summer we're going to live in the Old Testament a lot. And we're going to kick off on Father's Day in a couple of weeks, a series called Rescue, Teaching Our Way Through the Book of Exodus. And then today, though, we're teaching out of the Old Testament book of Jeremiah in the 20th chapter. And I know some of you aren't familiar with that, but but when you find Jeremiah chapter 20, we're going to be in those first 13 verses. I I don't think I'm the only one that fights discouragement. I don't think I'm the only one that is recognized as a part of life. I know I'm not the only one that's dealing with it. Discouragement comes most often, I believe, when we do the right things, but we tend to have poor results. And we're discouraged and we're let down and we're frustrated and you work hard and you don't make progress. You show up to practice every day and you give it your all, but you lose every game. You spend time with your child going out of your way to parent the best you know how, but they rebel. Or you try to meet your spouse's need, but your marriage is falling apart. You try hard, but that addiction is just kicking your tail. Or you work hard, but those bills seem insurmountable. I could go on and on, couldn't I? Where we deal with and we try to fight our way through discouragement. Discouragement, I believe, eats a hole in our hearts, and it makes us want to quit saying things we shouldn't say. It makes us want to quit, just give up, lay down, I'm done. But it also makes us say things we shouldn't say, and at times shaking our fist in the face of God. Discouragement is one of those things that when I get discouraged, I kind of draw inward and I kind of draw away from everybody. I know folks who, when they get discouraged, they lash out at other people. I know some folks, when they're discouraged, they they turn to an addiction. I know folks who, when they get discouraged, they just become angry. We all deal with discouragement a little different. However, God has made and wired you, but we've all dealt with discouragement. And most often, I believe discouragement happens when you try to do right and things don't happen the way you want them to. And all of a sudden, you're discouraged. This isn't where I thought I'd be at this stage of my life, or this isn't where I thought my relationship would be, or this isn't where I'm at. I mean, over and over and over again, that is exactly how Jeremiah felt in the 20th chapter of his own book. God called him to speak this harsh message to a rebellious people. God called Jeremiah to speak to a people that were running from God. God called Jeremiah to bring a harsh message. He was obeyed, but on one occasion, Jeremiah angers the assistant to the high priest and the chief security office officer for the temple, and his name is Pasher. And Pasher, we learn in the 20th chapter of Jeremiah, arrests Jeremiah, beats him, throws him in jail, locks him in stocks so that his body was contorted, writhing in pain, and let's pick it up right there in the 20th chapter of Jeremiah. In verse 1, it says, Now Pasher, the priest, the son of Emer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day, when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pasher, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They will fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on, and I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. 
He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies. Who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon? And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity to Babylon. You shall go, and there you will die. And there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. Now that's a strong word, but he shifts gears here in verse 7. And now Jeremiah writes and cries out to the God of all creation. And he says, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Now that'll bring a little discouragement into your life. And in verse 8, he says, For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, Violence and destruction for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot, for I hear many whispering. Terror is on my side, every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous? Who sees the heart and the mind? Let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. In essence, Jeremiah has been thrown in jail. Jeremiah is in deep distress. Jeremiah answered God's call he ticks off this guy by the name of Pasher. Pasher arrests him, throws him in jail, and now everybody has jumped on board, and now we're going to try to make a mockery out of Jeremiah. And all of the city now has gotten him in deep distress. But wait a minute, he's supposed to be a spiritual hero, is he not? He's supposed to be a hero. Jeremiah then gets released the next day, emerging with a sentence of his own. He gave Pasher a new name, Terror on every side. This name describes the terror Babylon would inflict on Judah, specifically the fate Pasher would suffer when God's judgment fell. In this last of his recorded laments, which is similar to Jesus' Gethsemane experience, we find the highs and we find the lows of all of his feelings bottled up and all of his emotions, grief and joy, despair, delight, perplexity, perplexity and praise. And like Jesus, Jeremiah reminds us that even a faithful servant of God can become discouraged. You ever been there? You just don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. Discouragement has overcome you and you are just frustrated and you don't know where, what, what's up, what tomorrow holds. What am I going to do? Well, here's the good news. You can rise above discouragement and I believe Jeremiah gives us the way how. Are you ready? Number one, if you're going to rise above discouragement, be honest, tell God how you feel. I mean, oftentimes I think what happens is we put on our preacher voice when we go before God. Now, please don't get me, get me wrong. I don't believe he is the man upstairs. He is not someone we treat lightly. We ought to be in awe, in fear, and in reverence of a holy, righteous God, a thrice holy God. And when we come to him, we do not come to him as the man upstairs. We come to him as God Almighty. We come to him as Heavenly Father. 
We come to him as the God of all creation who breathes stars into existence, and we come to him, though, and we shouldn't put on a face that he knows is not us. Oh, Father, bless this happy meal, Father, and the fries that come with it. We love the Dr. Pepper. No, just come to God and talk to him. He is our father. He longs for us to come to him. Why do we try to fake our way in front of God? I mean, Jeremiah was honest. In verse 7, he felt deceived by God. He was angry. The word deceived means to be enticed or seduced. But obviously, God doesn't do that. Obviously, God doesn't mislead or trick people, but Jeremiah felt that God had lured him into the ministry only to make him a laughingstock. You ever been there where you just sense, okay, God, I'm trying here, but why is this so hard? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? That's why that's a narrow path, and the rest of life is wide. You see, that anything worth achieving in this life costs you something, doesn't it? I mean, Jeremiah all of a sudden has realized it's cost him something to do this. In, in, in the middle of, the, of this, he comes before him feeling ridiculed. He comes before God feeling offended. His voice wasn't making a difference. He sees all around him destruction and injustice and judgment. But God wants us to talk to him. God wants us to come to him. I really believe that when you go to God and you literally just talk to your father in awe, in reverence, in love, and fear of a God who adores you, I believe you move the heart of God. Otherwise, Scripture would never tell me, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. God wants us to come to him. And you say, but Chuck, I thought God already knew I was angry. Yes, he does. Then don't fake it. Go to God and tell him, I'm mad. I have people that will ask me this uh, pretty regularly. Is it wrong to be angry with God, Chuck? Well, first remember, anger is an emotion. Anger is just an emotion. And oftentimes, emotions are neither right nor wrong. They just are. But here's the better question. What we do with our emotions, is that a separate issue? And the answer is yes. You see, to be angry is one thing. To act on that anger is another. People are sometimes surprised by the answer I give them. If you feel angry toward God, tell him. God's big enough to handle it. And by the way, it's not like you're going to catch him off guard. Wow, I didn't see that one coming. God knows this. Hold nothing back when you pray. Tell the Lord exactly what's on your heart, good, bad. Tell him everything. You know what I have found to be amazing? That when I go before God the Father and pour my heart out, you know what is amazing to me? Discouragement starts leaving my soul. By the way, hey, couples, life isn't quite right in your life. Tonight, when you curl up in bed and you turn your backs to one another because life just isn't all that good, why don't you reach over and hold that other person's hand and say, let's pray? Every now and then, Jenny, because she's by far the spiritual, you know, giant in my home, she'll reach over and grab my hand and she'll say, will you just pray with, let's just pray. You know what I found? And I believe this to be true. You cannot harbor bitterness and resentment and pettiness when you're before a holy and a righteous God together, and all of a sudden that bitterness and that anger and that resentment and that discouragement begins to leave your life. You know why? Because in the presence of God, there's no room for that foolishness. Today, 
Go before God and be honest with Him. I say this to a mirror all the time. To bottle up our anger, even anger toward God, does harm, never good. To be dishonest in our thoughts and our motives and our emotions, even before we speak them. Number one, be honest before God. Number two, be obedient. Keep doing what God called you to do. You see, I'm absolutely certain the vast majority of us know exactly what God wants us to do. We just don't want to act on it because to act on it costs us something. So we hide that with spiritual terms that sound a lot like this. Pastor Chuck, how can I know what God wants? I just don't know what God wants me to do. If he'd marked down that F-150 to $7,250, I know God would be in me buying that truck. You see, I think God literally, he's not playing hide or seek. I think most of us know exactly what God wants to do. We're just not willing to be obedient and follow him. If you want to have discouragement in your life, number one, speak honestly to God. Number two, be obedient. You know what God wants from you. Do it. I think we ought to ask ourselves this question. And I believe we ought to question ourselves on this all the time. Number one, what do I really believe God wants me to do? What's keeping me from doing it? And what am I going to do about it? What do I really think God wants me to do in my life? I mean, when you're all alone and nobody else can laugh at what you're about to say. When you're all alone and there's nobody to tell you, you're going to fail at what that is. What is it I really believe God wants me to do? Number two, what stands between me and doing it? Number three, what am I going to do about that today? You say, well, Chuck, that sounds awfully easy. God's not playing hide and seek with you. I mean, he's not counting. I mean, when I play hide and seek with my kids, my my daughters would do like this. One, two, three, 18, 20, here I come. God's not playing hide and seek from us. Be obedient, keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. By the way, I believe just as Jeremiah was called to deliver a message of repentance to that place, I believe God has equally called you. If you are a blood-bought child of Christ, if you literally have said, Jesus, I need you, come be my Savior, forgive me my sin, I accept your death and your burial and resurrection as payment for my sin. If you've made a U-turn with your life and said, I want to live for you, then there's not a question in my mind, God has called you. And you say, well, what am I called to do? Well, I believe, first of all, he calls you to his person in Jesus Christ. He's called you to be a follower of Jesus. He's called you to his person. Secondly, I believe he's called you to his purpose. God's purpose is all about the redemption of people, people coming to know Jesus, people coming to be in right relationship with God. He's called you to his person in Christ. He's called you to his purpose and being a plan. You say, wait a minute, little old me? Yeah, you. God called Miss Gwen and said, I want you to be a part of my redemptive plan. I picked you. You're going to do what you're perfect for this role. And you know what Miss Gwen gets to say? Ooh, ooh, me, me. Speak to him, be obedient to him. All of a sudden, discouragement is washing away. All of a sudden, discouragement is washing away. You know why? Because in the plan of obedience, we answer God's call to his person, we answer God's call to his purpose, and then we answer God's call to his plan. Everything that he's allowed you to experience and everything you are experiencing now is preparing you for how he's going to use you tomorrow, good, bad, and in between. And you know what? It's either a, it's either a ladder you're going to climb to be used for the goodness and the purpose of God, or it's going to be a crutch you're going to lean on the rest of your life, and you get to pick. You get to decide. You're the one that gets to decide. How obedient do you want to be? When you're called, you can't ignore the call. That call first is from the heart. It's to the heart. It's internal. But then it's an outward activity. It's external and the fruit that remains in your daily walk with him. I mean, this is what it looks like. Here we are and we're walking through our everyday life. And what we leave behind us determines how obedient we are in our call. 
Are the puddles that we leave behind us, are they filled with grace? Are they filled with mercy? Are they filled with forgiveness? Are Are they filled with love? Are they filled with graciousness and kindness? Are they filled with evangelism and missions and service? Are they filled with giving? Or what are they filled with? Because if your path isn't leaving puddles for people to play in, filled with those things, you're not walking in the call of Christ. And you say, well, Chuck, that, that's a little clear cut. Yeah. So, so if what's left behind is puddles of pride and what's left behind is puddles of ego and what's left behind is puddles of, of stuff and what's left behind is puddles of, of toys and what's left behind is puddles of all those things that are all about you, then you know what I can tell you? Then you haven't spent time being honest with God and you certainly haven't been obedient to His call. But thirdly, I believe it comes down to this. We need to be aware. We need to be aware of the presence of God. I think sometimes we have forgotten the awe and the reverence and the goodness and the graciousness of a God who breathed stars into existence, who spoke this world into existence and holds us in the palm of his hand, and he is God Almighty. You know, I wonder sometimes what what would happen if each of us really lived our life in such a way that everywhere we went, when we walked in the boardroom tomorrow, when we walked in our cubicle tomorrow, when we, when, when we got our kids up for breakfast tomorrow, when we went to swim team tomorrow, when we went to the ballpark tomorrow night, when we went to swim meet on Tuesday night. I almost got hives thinking about that. What would happen if we knew we could see the presence of God with us? How we act, how we react how we engage others if we knew the presence of God physically was right there. You know, it would change how we listen to that joke, wouldn't it? It would change how we make that racist term, wouldn't it? It would change the language we'd use. It'd change how we would react in grace. Well, here's the good news. According to God, we serve a God of the present tense. We serve a God who never leaves us. Jeremiah realized he wasn't alone. In verse 11, he said, but the Lord is with me. He realized he wasn't on the losing side. He was going to win because the Lord was with him like a mighty warrior. And by the way, he'll win over your discouragement and your enemies as well. Another story in the Old Testament is David and Saul. And Saul has been chunking spears at him and trying to kill him for months now. And David finally has Saul trapped in a cave, asleep. And David walks in and there's nothing but the tormentor, nothing but the one that's chasing him to kill him, nothing but his enemy. And David draws back that dagger, ready to place it straight into Saul's heart and end his nightmare and end his enemy and finish it off. And he takes that knife and draws it up and takes it down. And all he does is trim off a piece of Saul's tunic and later reminds him, I could have, but my God will handle this. You know what I have found? God will handle your enemies and God will handle your discouragement and God will handle everything in your life in a way that's far better than your anger will. Far better than your discouragement will drag you down. But you got to believe in the presence of an almighty God. You see, that's where it really boils down to. Do you really believe He is with you? Do you really believe He is for you? Do you really believe His power is all you need? Often in our discouragement, we look inward to our problems, our frustrations, or our situations. We need to look upward to a God who hasn't and will not abandon us. He is with us. He is a present tense God. Living in the awareness of God's presence will enable you to fight on despite discouragement. 
Number four, be worshipful. Praise God with your whole heart. Jeremiah's despair turned to joy. He didn't just speak honestly with God. He didn't just try to obey God. He didn't just recognize the presence of God. He chose to praise God. You know what I've discovered? I praise God a lot better when a check comes in the mail than when the power bill comes in in the middle of July, don't you? Praise God, it's a hundred bucks. You know what I find hard to do? Praise God, the kids left the upstairs air conditioner on 65 all summer long. Isn't that great? But you know what? Jeremiah, in the midst of his trouble, decided to praise the Lord. I mean, some of us, you know, I, I want to give you this. This is the hokiest advice you'll ever get from your pastor, but I'll promise you it's true. The next time you're alone in your car with your family in the car and discouragement has just wrapped its hands around your heart and got a chokehold on your soul, listen, turn up your radio and find something you can praise to. Go to 98.9 or go to 104.7 or push in Casting Crowns or put in Christian Stanville or whatever you got to do. And then find whatever that praise music is and just praise the Lord at the top of your lungs to the point that the lady next to you in the minivan is going, kids, look. And it's about that point, discouragement begins to leave. You know, I don't believe you can praise the Lord and stay discouraged. I really don't. I believe it is a physical and spiritual impossibility to remain discouraged while you praise the Lord while you speak honestly to him, while you're obedient to him, while you're recognizing his presence. I believe praise is more than just acknowledging God for the good that comes our way. Praise is accepting from God all that comes our way, both good and the bad. Praise is the recognition that God's got me, God's got this under control, and God's going to use me in amazing ways. Praise, I think, quickly does four things. Number one, praise recognizes a provider. Praise takes our minds off our situation and focuses them on God. It gives God the right to rule and to reign in our lives how he sits, he's fit. It accepts that God can take all the bad stuff of our life and make something beautiful out of it. Secondly, praise acknowledges a plan. I mean, praise acknowledges what Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Listen, God owns and draws the storyboard of our life. He's in control. We praise him for who he is and where and how we are right now because praise also accepts the present. Praise is based on a total and joyful acceptance of our present, God's perfect will for our life, and praise releases the power. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 22.3, yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of your people. God actually dwells in inhabits and resides in our praise. God's power and God's presence is near when we praise him. There's a legend of when Satan broke out his toolbox and had a garage sale. I'm relatively certain Satan is in all garage sales, but Satan broke out a garage sale as the legend goes. And he spread out his tools and he priced them accordingly. And he in the middle of all of those tools, he had hatred and envy and jealousy and deceit. He had lying and pride. But laying over to the side on a special table with a certainly high price tag was the one that Satan said, this is my most prized possession. It's called discouragement. Because when I can get you discouraged, I can wrap my bony fingers around your heart and I can squeeze the joy right out of your life. When I do that, I can cause you to lie in doubt and fear. 
I can cause you to walk in disobedience and say things you'd never say. I can cause you to act in ways you never were built to act. But why the costly price? And Satan answered, because discouragement is more useful to me than any other. Once I have discouragement, a hold of your heart, I can have you do anything I choose. Most of us experience firsthand this tool of Satan, discouragement. Jeremiah taught us how to rise above it, to be honest before God and just speak to him. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. He taught us to be obedient, just to do what we're called to do, being called to his person in Jesus and being called to his purpose and the redemptive plan of mankind, being called to God's plan that you've experienced in your life and will experience and being called to a place where he wants you to serve and make a difference. That's why we make such a big deal about Jesus here. That's why we make being a part of the family of God such a big deal here. Because you see, you don't have to live in the spirit of discouragement. You don't have to wallow in that spirit of defeat because Jesus who knew you weren't right with a holy and a righteous God. In our sinful nature, we couldn't be in the presence of a perfect and a holy God. So God looked down and he said, but I love you. And so he sent his own son and he was born of a virgin and he lived a perfect sinless life. And that Jesus willfully chose to shed his blood and die on a cross. And they took him down from that cross and they placed him in an old, cold, damp, tomb and when they placed him in there they rolled that huge stone over it and on day one disappointment set in and discouragement took over and day two fear wrapped its hands around their heart and on day three when fear became real and we didn't know where to go Jesus stood up out of that tomb and he pushed that rock away with his breath and he rose that you might have life and you might have it eternally and you might have it gloriously and you might have it today Because you see, he beat discouragement for you. You see, he he doesn't want his children to wallow in it. Because in the presence and the power of the risen Jesus, he conquered it. That you might be able to do it. And you see, that's why we serve the God of this city. That's why we serve the God of these families. That's why we want you to come in relationship with the God of this church. That's why we want you to come in relationship with a God who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And that's why he is the God of this.